Hi, everyone. Welcome to Facebook Live with Worcester State Alumni. My name is Sean Morrow. I'm the Assistant Director of Alumni Relations with Worcester State University. Uh, we're really happy to have uh, Sarah Connell um, and Molly O'Connor. Well, they run the Poppet, the Worcester Poppet podcast, and uh, we're really happy to have them be on our Facebook Live today. So we do have our chat feature. If people want to show them some love, they want to send some questions, I'll be moderating that part of it. So and I will let them know that you have questions and we can kind of go back and forth from there. Without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to uh, Sarah and Molly. I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Yay! I'm so We're excited. We're not even having viewers. I know. I jokingly call our listeners viewers sometimes, but now we really have viewers. <laughs> it's been a while since we did this where we could see each other's faces too. That is We've had true. some nice social distance uh, experiences, but it feels good. It, it does. I know, even like over Zoom. So we're here um, today, I suppose, yeah. um, because I am a Worcester State alumni. You alumnus. are, which I had like forgotten. Yeah, <laughs> I did. all the posts came up. So I was like, oh yeah. Sarah I got did one some of her night school. I did. And it was such a <laughs> terrific experience as a night school student. So I just want to throw that out there. If anybody is a working teacher and you're thinking like, how could I ever possibly get my master's degree while being a full-time teacher? It's a program that's developed to connect you with current administrators. And so like I met every superintendent in central mass. I developed that's relationships crazy. with them. It's awesome. Um, um, we talked about pop and bottles. Molly, what are you drinking? I am drinking, I'm just drinking a vodka soda, but I have some Granger's vodka, which is delicious, mixed with some polar seltzer. Nice. Yeah, I used that Grand Mayan silver tequila that we got from Joy Flanagan from yeah. MS Walker. Joy. <laughs> and I'm drinking it out of my great grandmother's glass that's 100 years old. So cheers. This jar might be 100 years old. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do a little pop culture rundown, and I feel like this is the first time in a long time that we finally had pop culture news, but the world is sort of opening up again to that Hollywood lifestyle. Well, and I think, too, it's like weaving, you know, conversations that are still really socially important into the fun stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of something that's like fun and very socially important, I was gone the last couple of weeks camping, but I know sure. you got a chance to witness the BLM mural in Worcester in action. Yes. And it's so, so this is actually really interesting and I want to bring it up or like, I'm glad we're talking about it because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I was disappointed in, you know, the city council when they decided to allocate funding that maybe could have got, or like decided not to really even have the like extra meetings to like allocate funding to places that could use it and instead gave some money to give more money it wasn't like it wasn't taking anything away from the police but it was just adding to their budget and a lot of folks were calling for that money to go to different social programs and community programs and so I was disappointed in the city council and so when I first saw the mural I assumed that because in other cities it was something that was like done by the city so I assumed that it was almost like an empty gesture. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, I was just disappointed that what I saw as inaction was then trying to make up for it by doing this mural. And then what happened basically was like, I learned new information about what happened and I changed my mind about it. And I think that's something that is 
we're talking a lot about right now is like availing yourself of new information and being able to form a new opinion on it, like moving forward. So I kind of like stepped back in humility. and was like, I was wrong about this. It was spearheaded by a lot of local artists and activists. And that's who put it together along with it was city sanctioned. So I was really glad that that was really more what it was. And I think I kind of acted, I had a horoscope that day that said, don't let, don't let anger mask your anxiety. And I got mad about it and then thought more about it and said, well, really what the, where this is coming from is that is my anxiety about not enough getting done. So I was really glad to see that it was actually totally spearheaded by artists and activists. And it was a cathartic experience for them. It turned out really beautiful. I think ours is really special because all the letters have a a different dedicated artist. So I was glad to find out that it wasn't what I thought it was. And I'm really kind of like stunned by it. We're really trying to encourage people to to educate yourself, but don't be afraid to change your mind. And um, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback about the open conversations we had, which I had been tentative about at first. So I I really like this as a learning experience for everyone. You're never too old to change your mind. And tomorrow I'm interviewing Nicole Coleman who painted the bee and I cannot wait to talk to her. But I was late because I was camping. I was about to say you missed it. (laughs) Yeah, but what a wild experience. And for people looking to go on vacation, camping has grown 350% in the summer of 2020 in popularity. And I think a lot of that is it's so easy when you're outside to feel like you're safe and keep your distance from people and do outdoor activities. So it was a blast. We spent a ton of time on the water and then tragedy struck. The glee curse. So that brings us to our first point of pop culture. Yeah. Can you give us um, a little recap? So not this very past weekend, but the weekend before, basically news broke that Naya Rivera, who was an actor on the show Glee, her son had like reappeared on the shore of a lake in California on a, a boat by himself. And so at first she was a missing person. She was reported missing. They did extensive searches. I think it was either the next day or two days later that they changed it from a missing person search to a recovery search. Um, I think they realized pretty early on that it was that she didn't make it. And so I got really, I actually got kind of fixated on that story. And it was because two days later, the sheriff was doing a press conference where basically he said, what we can surmise is that she mustered enough strength to put her son back on the boat and then didn't, make it back on herself. And that was partly also from what the, what her son had told law enforcement. At four, how confused you are (laughs) and how much trauma would stick with you. Right. So I was just like, I was like moved by that story. I like, couldn't believe it. As you mentioned, the the glee curse, it kind of, there's this show is like tragedy after tragedy. I did some background just to like get a timeline. Yeah. Cause I remember these people passing, but I couldn't put together right. exactly when it had happened. So Corey Monteith played Finn. He died at age 31. He was found dead in a hotel room in Vancouver in 2013. And his death was ruled accidental. It was an overdose. Yep. But then Mark, I think it's pronounced sailing, sailing, yeah. like the bad boy he was a um, football player. Yeah. So five years later, so that would put it 2018. Yep. Um, he had dated Rivera, who was just found in the lake. 
and he died by suicide at 35. And I was like, Oh my God, how sad. But I did a little more reading and it said that he was indicted on charges of possessing child pornography before that, which shocked me. And I was like, Oh gosh, this isn't just like your run of the mill death. Like there was a lot of layers to this. So why is it that Naya Rivera was so important as a character on television? She is the best for me, at least as like two levels. One of them is that she started on that show as a stock character. She was like a mean girl cheerleader. She was just like very, she was a stereotypical character. She kind of blended in or the character did. But then what happened is that Naya Rivera, the actor was like, so she had such, she had such star power and she, she basically demanded that the character be something more than it was because she kind of is like a powerhouse acting wise and just performance wise. There was a lot of every episode of Glee in case anyone didn't watch Glee. I watched like the first few seasons because I'm a theater kid, but every episode of Glee incorporated performance elements. There was like usually at least four or five or six songs within the show. And so once she started kind of appearing more in those situations, people really started noticing. But then what happened is that they took her character, who was like the mean girl cheerleader, and moved her out of that category and into a space where she became like a very vulnerable and unapologetic lesbian character, queer character on television. And she fell in love with her best friend, Brittany. And they so they took this character and they turned it into something really new, first of all. Like, you know, we hadn't seen someone who was like a Latinx character in with that kind of representation on like a show intended for teens and she acted it beautifully. So it was just all these elements sort of as a perfect storm of just her having this sort of legacy. And even like um, Alex, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez spoke about like did a statement about it because she was a big deal. It wasn't just an actress from a show. For the first time people saw themselves represented on television. Mm-hmm. Okay, I do have one other question though about some glee lore. Yes. Uh I had read some awful tweets about Leah Michelle who played like the lead, right? Yeah, Leah Michelle was the the lead. Ooh. Oh, we have a quick question from Anne, our friend Anne Conroy. Um, my favorite of Naya Rivera's performances is she and the character Mercedes did um River Deep Mountain High, which is a famously a Tina Turner song. And it is unbelievable. It's like, and that, I remember being the moment when I was like, oh, these two are the best people, which brings us back to, so it was Naya Rivera and um, Amber Riley who played Mercedes, which brings us back to this Leah Michelle situation. So the ones that you read recently were sort of about allegations of racism from um, some folks who had guest starred on the show. And then what happened was there were these more minor actors had, commented in Amber Riley, who played Mercedes, who, if you guys don't know, is, you know, a heavy set black woman. And she was kind of always like shoved to the side, even though she was very talented. And she was like liking all of these tweets. She didn't say anything, really. She kind of like did a subtle response later, but people thought it was really interesting because she was one of the stars of the show. Um, and this is actually something that has been following Leah Michelle since she was a teenager on Broadway, is that oh, wow. she's just like, a horror show to work with. Oh, and I, she also loves yes. um, <laughs> Don't Rain on My Parade. Yes, which that one was like, the, Leah Michelle did a performance too. And so they were like, 
the competing. Okay, so another amazing, strong Black woman who found her voice recently, Simone Biles, right? And I just am feeling for her so much in this beautiful Vogue profile. And I feel like I learned so much about her journey and especially how she navigated her experience with Larry Nasser, which was awful. Mm -hmm. Um, And she didn't speak out right away because she was comparing her experience to all these other girls and thought like, it took them so long. Can you, um, in case people don't know, like the the Larry Nasser things, I don't know. I feel like we've mentioned it, but it would have been a while ago. Yeah. So it was the physician for USA Gymnastics it came to light that he had been inappropriately touching all of these women under the guise of some sort of medical procedure. And he did the same thing to all of them. And yeah, uh, like in order to readjust their back after tumbling and eventually um, a lot of people came forward, like a a ridiculous, overwhelming amount of people, but it was slow going. They're teen girls. They didn't know that that was not what was like so blatantly too, like with their parents in the room, just out in the open. And so they didn't realize something wrong was going on until they did. And so she is one of the only gymnasts who continued to compete in USA gymnastics after all of this came to light. Now, if you don't know about Simone Biles, she hasn't lost a meet since 2013 as of (laughs) October, when she won her fifth all around international title, she became the most decorated gymnast in the world. And she's been talking a lot about how there's a science to peaking and who's commenting. Um, and I were swimmers together and we know a lot about peaking, right? Like you get your body ready. So you have your most intense training far enough in advance of something like the Olympics or your championship. And then your body is in prime condition and ready to go. You taper right before your major event. And then you are in your top shape. And so the fact that the Olympics has been canceled was devastating for her, but also like, when this profile started, the Vogue reporter started reporting in early March. So it wasn't a sure thing yet. And so they kind of unpack all of this as it's happening. Yeah. Ugh. Can you imagine just like being like 25 years old and being too old to do the thing that you're best at or like oh. consider too old, not too old to do it, but like that is so, and I, I always think that's interesting within the context of the Olympics, because for women, who do gymnastics and figure skating in particular, they are seen as like done when they hit like 25 or 26 and the men kind of keep going until they're like 36. And I find that really fascinating. And I don't know what is behind that. The it most is, interesting uh, article, quote but- for me though, was about her body. And then we can talk about the photos that ran with the piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she said, they focused on how big my legs were when she was growing up. She said, but God made me this way. And I feel like, if I didn't have these legs or these calves, I wouldn't be able to tumble as high as I can and have all these moves named after me. And it's true. She has all these names that are moves that are named in her honor. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. The I remember growing up a swimmer and feeling embarrassed of my muscular shoulders and stuff yeah. like that. And so to be a girl hearing this, you know, especially a young gymnast, like it's okay to be strong. I right. think it's just an incredible message. Speaking like, of um, strong portrayals of her, can you talk about the photos yeah. that ran with Beast? Absolutely. So it's, and it's interesting. So the, there were a couple cover photos of some of just the inside photos. They were taken by um, Annie Leibovitz, who is like highly acclaimed, world renowned. She's prolific. She takes a lot of photos for, for places like Vogue, Vanity Fair. And so I saw these photos and I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, these are so cool. She looks, and I thought she looked like, especially that one of her back, she looks so strong. 
where she's like kind of looking. And it was interesting because then what happened is some, you know, folks on Twitter or in a lot of writers who are black, obviously I am white, were looking, looked at these pictures and they were like, Annie Leibovitz doesn't know how to light black skin. And I looked back and I said, oh, yeah. (laughs) I looked at them and I was like, wait a minute, her skin does look kind of like gray. It didn't look quite right. And like, you know, I've watched her do gymnastics and I've seen like the, the tones of her skin are very, you know, they're not great. They're beautiful. They're like multifaceted. She's got a, like, her skin is gorgeous. And I looked and back and, and, and it didn't know how to light her. Yeah. Right. Looking at it. And so then the major thing that people were pointing out is that Vogue hired a black photographer for the first time ever to take pictures of Beyonce at Beyonce's request. She basically made them and they have not hired a black photographer to take cover photos for the magazine since which is really interesting. And then, you're, and then you're like, oh, okay. But to contrast that, there is a Vanity Fair cover from July and August the same month. And it is, Viola Davis is the cover star. And the picture itself is striking. If you guys get a chance to look, the, the like cover photo itself is really, really special. But it was photographed by Dario Calmese, who was the first black artist to photograph the cover for Vanity Fair ever. So this is another like threshold being broken, but the picture itself is Viola Davis. It's, she's like sort of facing to her left, it's of her back. And the picture was an homage to um, a very famous portrait of a slave called the Scourged Back, which was a ni- an 1863 photo um, that shows a formerly ens- enslaved man covered in all of the scars he received from whippings. And he's sitting in the same position that she is And so Viola Davis approached this saying, I want to take this and turn it into something powerful and beautiful and visceral. So I think that was just an interesting contrast to this Annie Leibovitz situation where the lighting wasn't quite right. Connie Nast has had a lot of problems lately. We talked about (laughs) Bon Appetit, but it's interesting, like just add another one to the list, right? Right, exactly. The next thing on my list of pop culture are the Smiths. Jada and Will. Will and Jada. Will and Jada. Jada and Will. I've always thought of their relationship as fluid. I don't remember the first time I heard that, but like, that's something I've known about forever. And so this week, or maybe it was last week, even when they were all over social media, um, because Jada had apparently had what she called an entanglement with August Alcina. And I don't think I've heard entanglement or no, a term for a relationship like blown up, like the word entanglement was since conscious uncoupling, which is what Gwyneth Paltrow yes. said when she Can was I tell divorcing you something her really funny about entanglement also? Yes, I just please. watched the other day, I'm doing a Marvel, I'm doing a Marvel watch. And um, the other night I was watching Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is the sequel to Ant-Man with starring Paul Rudd. And there is a whole, and this movie came out, you know, like last year. And there's a whole segment of it where they're talking about quantum entanglements and it had nothing to do with this but I was like we I was like giggling about it because I was like when did that come into the lexicon right, right? And it's so funny because when you you know anyone who watches that movie if you watch Ant-Man and the Wasp you're gonna hear it and you're gonna be like it was it was though it was like an antenna went off it was the but strangest yes, I thing about think... the whole disclosure for me was just again the lighting right they go on red table talk which is also a facebook live show um maybe if this yes. goes well we'll get one too much but 
So they're on Red Table Talk and Jada is lit beautifully. She is glowing. She looks like a Mm -hmm. queen, which is what Will calls her to. And then Will looks like he just went for a run or something. He does. (laughs) Like eyes are bloodshot. Like maybe he was emotional, but they did not have the same makeup person. What does that say about like where they were at, I guess, like mentally for that talk? I do want to say like, I definitely agree like when you said I thought that like that their relationship was fluid I think that that has been something that people have thought for a long time I was always under or not always but there I do think there was a certain moment where I was under the impression that um they had an open relationship of based in you know trust and um healing as they they love to say I was kind of surprised when this came out sort of framed as an affair because yeah, I thought they were oh, separated they at the time first of all Scary Ross and Rachel of you, Molly. Yes. They were on a break. They were on a break. But they Um, really were. But the way that it was framed by August (laughs) was that Will had given him permission. And Jada said something amazing. She was like, no one can give anyone permission to, to like have ownership of my body except for me. And I really like that. And I think that that is something that has been bothering me about this whole thing is that Jada is being framed as the villain in this situation. And I don't think that there are villains in this situation, first of all. And secondly, they both brought themselves to the red table to be open and transparent to some level, but like, we still don't know. And we're honestly not owed that. Right. But yeah, I've been very bothered by Jada sort of being painted as like the bad guy here. Okay. Can I play devil's advocate? So uh, August Alcina is 27 now. This happened four years ago. So he was 23. Jada is 48 now. So she was 44 then. There's definitely a power dynamic. He was very, very ill, like very, very sick. And the family said, oh, we're close family friends. We'll take care of you. And that's how they developed a relationship. They had like given him a place to stay. They were helping him out with his health. And then she got separated from her husband and they developed a relationship. And that is what Will Smith comes to say. He's like, Jada, it's not an entanglement. It's a relationship. And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But there's definitely some power dynamics there that are bothersome to me. I agree with that aspect. I think in relationship to August, I agree. But I think that a lot of, a lot of the like chatter about this is only coming from the, like the Will and Jada part. In that Not sense, that's where I'm bothered by it. I do agree with you on the August side that there are like definitely questions to be answered, but I think that like where a lot of it is coming from just like of people gossiping about it is the Will and Jada part. So that's sort of bothered me. We do have a question from our friend, Wendy. Did you see Will's Instagram jump rope video this morning? I haven't, but I do follow him. And I think his Instagram content is chefs. I just did a chef's kiss for people who will be listening to this. I only started um, to follow him when Joyner Lucas paid tribute to him in a recent single. But we have a second question, which I think is true. Have you seen the point that Jada's entanglement with the with a much younger man would have been covered differently if she were a man? I think that's true. Yeah, but I think well, like, that's where I was like, I want to hold her to a higher standard because I feel like she had some clear like opportunities to groom him when he was physically ill. Yeah. It's very possible. One last thing I want to add about this is there has been a tweet circulating by an account, a 
apparently uh, belonging to Will Smith that just says pain with no caps in a period at the end. And people are like using it everywhere. But Will Smith does not have a Twitter. So I just want to be very clear about the fact that no blue check mark that there. Tweet, it's, it's like a meme, which like whatever. But if you see that tweet and you take it seriously as like him having some kind of like very public, like come to Jesus moment about like what he's been through, that is not the case. He does not have a Twitter. He only has an Instagram. Don't fall for it. Good to know. Uh, the next thing on my list are the Karens. Karens. This is something, okay. I, I'm sure you've had this experience too, but I saw um, a coworker of mine from the media who happens to be a middle-aged woman. Her name is not Karen, but she said she felt she was being bullied as a middle-aged woman by the term Karen. And I like wrote out this whole response, talking about the history of Aunt Anne and Becky and Karen. Yeah. And then I realized like, you just, Sarah, stay out of it, right? Well, like that NPR piece was great. There was a coach which piece written by written by a white woman named Karen. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Where she, like you said, she runs through this history. I have encountered that, and I'll tell you why. My mom's name is Karen. Hers is she's special. Her her name is spelled C A R Y N. But I think it's funny Hi, because Sarah and I have kind of talked about this. Where like, yes, there are women who fall into that age group who in, into that demographic group specifically who definitely are what what like is typically considered a Karen by like media and by whoever like you know society at large right now in the U.S. which is you know talking to the complaining to the manager demand demanding answers um and then there are also the like Karens driving Subarus with NPR bumper stickers which is literally what my mom is (laughs) Um, it's interesting because I had this same talk with her where I was like it's not about you it's your name but first of all, it's not because you're a special caring, um, but it's it's a larger form of catharsis in some weird way for marginalized groups. If you want to talk a little bit about the background of it. Yeah. So you mentioned that Code Switch podcast, which I cannot recommend highly enough. My podcast crush for the last five years has been Gene Denby. My husband's aware, but he like did this. A lot. Oh yeah. God, he's so amazing. I don't know. He just he puts into words a lot of things that I'm feeling in a way that is so relatable, you know, because sometimes you have these thoughts that are about changing your mind, which we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, and it feels uncomfortable. You can take uncomfortable things and make them palatable for other people. And that's why he's a great podcast host. But anyway, he did a whole podcast about Karen's. He talks about Becky's, like the Sir Mix-a-Lot. Oh my God, Becky. Yeah, Becky. Becky, the good hair too. Right. So Becky's are white women who are privileged, but maybe don't understand the, the way that privilege helps them to advance in the world. Then you have your Karens. Karens know. Karens are the people who have figured out that they can leverage their privilege and use it for evil. And that's what makes Karen so bad. And it's not about women named Karen. It's about this ethos that like, you know, that you've got a secret weapon. Absolutely. It is. It's definitely different. And another thing that I told my mom, um, which I think is kind of addressed by this particular code switch conversation is that it moves with time. I was like, this will go away. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just because she gets it. She's a cool mom. She's not like the other mom. She's a cool mom. But 
you know, it is something that we move on from. And the Karen Act was recently introduced. And that for me was like a point of contention almost. We've talked about this before, but do you want to recap the situation that happened in Central Park? Yeah, there was a gentleman who was bird watching, a black man, and he is part of the New York Audubon Society. He, he was like in, um, what's that little part of Central Park called where he was? I can't remember. The Anne Help. That's a cute little game. So he was he was bird watching, and this particular area of Central Park does not allow oh, dogs. The and brattle, the bu- sorry, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something cute. That's a cutesy name, but it's it's precious sounding. So, but this particular area of Central Park does not allow dogs, and it is for a reason, and it's partly because a lot of people go to that area of Central Park to bird watch, and dogs disrupt ecosystems in different ways, and that doesn't really matter why the dogs weren't allowed. Dogs are not allowed in that area of Central Park. So he basically just said to this woman, excuse me, can you like, I think, or can you leash your dog? I don't even know if it was that they're not allowed or if they're. No, he just wanted her to put them on a leash. Right. They can't be off leash. He said, can you leash your dog, please? Like a very simple request. He filmed it himself, this interaction. And basically this woman, the ramble. (laughs) Thanks. The ramble. I know. For some reason, I was like the bramble, the ramble. Um, So he essentially made a very polite, simple request to this woman and she had a meltdown. Oh my God. If you haven't seen the video. Yeah. She had a meltdown for it. Threatening to call the police on what? I don't know. (laughs) Like, and he knows, like he starts recording and he knows that she is being so ridiculous, right? But then she's made even more uncomfortable by the fact that he's recording. And then it um, just went and viral. He, and he didn't even yeah. want to share it. His sister shared it. And yes. he didn't want her to lose her job. He was like, she's been punished by social media enough. But now she's been charged. She lost her job. Yep. So that brings us to the Karen Act, right? Michael Holden. I, I get, get it about the Karens. So I just wish they picked a different name. He wishes they picked a different name because that's my mom's name. <laughs> that's very Pardon. sweet. That might be my mom typing herself. <laughs> the Karen Act was introduced to make false racially biased calls to police illegal. And immediately I heard it and I was like, yeah, our politicians right. love their acronyms. This is awesome. I got a question, Molly, yep. as somebody who is looking to abolish the police. Yeah. Do we want more laws? Um, that is a really good question. And I think it it has levels to it. So on one hand, it's like, on one hand, we currently want to work within this system that is available to like make justice. I'm doing air quotes, whatever form of justice we can accessible to marginalized people. So like, for instance, in this case, it's like you, I understand what the point is of this and you want to, it's a deterrent almost. It's like less something I think that they would hope would have to be enforced all the time and more so a deterrent to the action in the first place. So like, is it harm reduction? I guess is the question. But then like, secondly, I think in a way, no. And that is, and that goes hand in hand with not just the idea that abolition is about police officers, but about the carceral system at large. So I do think that that is something to consider. And I hadn't, like, I've thought about it. I've thought about this question, particularly about like 
laws and like expanding, you uh-huh. know, regulations and laws and stuff like that. You're frozen on my end, Malls. I hear you, but I don't see you. Oh, there you are. Well, this okay. is the thing. But through a lens of like, we don't want to expand laws, that, but I've never looked at perspective of like laws that would affect primarily the folks in power. This question did come from a um, brilliant friend of the show and <laughs> amazing attorney, Ann Conroy. And she was talking about how her law professors always look for worst case scenario when a new law is introduced. And she said, what's going to happen when a white person tries to invoke the Karen law? And she said, it's really hard to prosecute hate crimes because yeah. then you're policing people's thoughts. And that's like totally... It's, it's terrifying, right? So she gave the example of these cake makers where there was um, a Christian bakery and they refused to make a cake for a gay couple's wedding. And she said, now, if we take the worst case scenario and flip it on its head, like what if you had a Jewish baker and they were asked to make a swastika cake? Would you expect them to do that? And so when we think about policing people's thoughts and hate crimes in general, I think it becomes very fraught. And that's why... I was at first like totally giving a hurrah to the Karen Act. And then I started to scrutinize it a little bit. Um, I think it's a really good question, not just for folks who like, you know, have are like-minded to me in the sense of like being pro-abolition. I think it's a good question for, from any perspective, like, do we want to keep adding laws? Right. But I, I, I love that question. Like I said, because I had it considered from that perspective. So. Awesome. Cool. I think we only have one more thing, right? Yeah. And it's something I'm so yeah. excited about. It was not so, on our initial itinerary. I, yes. Yeah, can I tell ahead, you guys that? So I texted Sarah because I was on Instagram. I was like scrolling. So I texted Sarah. I said, Sarah, we have to add to our agenda that Taylor Swift is dropping a, an album tonight at midnight. You didn't know about it. No. Right? Yeah. I had been because your reaction was all day. Like, and I hadn't looked at the internet. Oh my God. I, so I believe you wrote in all caps, holy smokes, <laughs> holy <laughs> which smokes. is adorable. <laughs> um, that is exciting. I am not like a Taylor Swift. I'm not like a super Taylor Swift fan. I understand. I get the whole thing. You know, I have to, I do want to say one thing about Taylor Swift is that people are like extraordinarily loyal to her. And I respect that a lot. <laughs> like <laughs> I do, but I was excited to tell you. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I hope that I can tell Sarah this. Cause I know you love her and I think that's exciting. Yeah, um, I do. I love her I music, do, I mean, her storytelling and yeah, I love I her sense of vulnerability thing. too, which is what some people hate about her. Cause they don't feel like it's genuine, <laughs> yeah. but I just like see little pieces of myself in her and I like that. So, but someone else is dropping an album at midnight too. I, is he though? I hadn't heard that. I knew that he like was a work allegedly working on an album. There was a New York Times article today. Kanye versus Taylor continues. I hope that he can. Oh, I bury the lead. It's Kanye. He's dropping an album. I am a big Kanye West fan. How do you feel about his recent tweets? I feel sad. And I kind of like a few years ago, I was able to like extricate myself. Good question. I was able to extricate myself from it in a very real way and say like, okay, this, I don't know. I felt very attached to Kanye. like as an artist for a long time so more than anything I I find it really sad not only for very obvious reasons of his health and I just want him to be well whatever that means for him but also just because I think about his mother Donda 
and her legacy and him losing her and like what effect a that that had on him but b what she would feel about this because for so long he was she was part of his his ethos basically and so that i i kind of find really sad so that's sort of where i stand is sarah still here I oh, she, you sarah you disappeared from my screen i just want him to get well however whatever that looks like for him is he really but, running for president well I mean, yes, I think he thinks he is, but no, because you have to fill out a lot of paperwork to get yourself on a ballot, which is not possible in most states at this point in time. So he's a write-in um, candidate? For some places he will be, yeah, because he just hasn't. I think that he just, a lot of seeds got planted in his head years ago because he had such a vibrant and like loyal fandom that then he, because he, has other things going on, you know, has turned into something else. But um, we had a nice, a good question. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's from Worcester it's Arts Council. Arts. And we are sponsored by WAC, Worcester Arts Council. So we're really excited that they're here. It says, what did you think of the T-Swift documentary? I loved it because all it. of the, I just mentioned her vulnerability. It felt like I was getting to know her in a new way. And for so many more people, the things that I like about her, they were introduced to those qualities, right? By that documentary. A lot of people said, I didn't like her before I saw it. And now I like starting to understand that grappling with child fame is very difficult. And she was, she became famous at 15. No kidding. Um, I like it. And part of that for me is like, I like some of her music. I'm just not like a super fan. And I've had like, I've had problems with her for different reasons over the years. And one of the things that I liked about it and I think just in the past like two years-ish, I feel in general about her is I feel like she's grown up a lot. I feel like part of what used to bother me about her was that I, fe I felt like I couldn't really connect with her that much. And I feel now we're, we're the same age and we're, I'm like, okay, I get you a little bit more and I can see her more, you know? The one thing I do want to add before we go about this album release is that it goes back to Beyonce's influence on the music industry. She changed the world. She dropped the self-titled album Beyonce at midnight. That was a total surprise in December of 2015. And it changed the music industry forever. So. Sure did. <laughs> um, but yeah, sure I, did, I think it's exciting. People really connect with Taylor Swift in a way that this period, this point in time where people are feeling kind of sad and dejected and depressed about stuff, like this is a great thing to get in the middle of this time. Speaking of which, the Dixie Chicks released an album under the name The Chicks that is like just really visceral. I'm hardcore into the Dixie Chicks. I get the name change. I don't know. I'm. It's not like Lady Antebellum where I'm like, yeah, you needed to change your name. Dixie to me just means South. It doesn't mean like specifically like slave, <laughs> like slave right. era. You know. But this but is like a great a isolation album. album. It's a yeah, great about self-reflection, self-love, which I think like encapsulates the time, right? It's a protest album, but also it's isolation. I, I do want to say I'm really excited that Natalie Maines, who is the lead singer of the Dixie Chicks, finally wrote a song about her ex-husband, who is an actor, Adrian Pazdar. The song Gaslighter, it, I was like, oh, she did it because they got divorced a few years ago. So I was like, and it's good. Thank yeah. you for bringing that up. I love this it. album. They dish totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
All right. We only have two more minutes, but I would love to answer any questions if people no, are actually listening. I can't see. <laughs> oh, Sarah, who will take you to the Taylor Swift concert? Aww, so that was my um, my Christmas gift from my husband. And his he was like, please take somebody besides me. Oh, who you take, yeah. Yeah, but now the concert, which H-B-Bor. was just planned in LA and Foxborough. She's only going to do two shows. West Coast, East Coast has been canceled. So. Sarah, make me a Taylor Swift fan. All right, let's do it. Well, I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll we'll listen to that album at midnight, or I will. Emily Sanders, Kutu says Taylor Swift collabed with her fave artist, Bonnie Bear. That is true. I also think it's interesting, going back to Kanye West, that he is a longtime collaborator. That doesn't sound good. He has been collaborating with Kanye West for many years as well. Interesting crossover. Bonnie Bear? Yeah. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, he worked on a bunch of songs on... Uh, my dark beautiful twisted fantasy yeah yeah cool right so that's like kind of emily cool. always says bony bear is my church <laughs> i like that i get it molly what's your church oh like Hugh the Grant. song or the <laughs> but i'm thinking Hugh music Grant. but i will tell you it is the rufus wainwright album poses seminal album dramatic beautiful quiet sad i love it so much what is yours oh gosh well, lately, okay, this is gonna sound like the stupidest thing. You ready? <laughs> I say that and you say and then you say things that are not stupid. Well, this one. All right, there's this terrible summer movie called Endless Love. And yep. the soundtrack, it like it's a silly teeny bopper movie that came out probably five it's years ago. It's also a remake of an 80s film. You should watch <gasps> I know what one. I'm doing tonight. All right, but the, right? the soundtrack is so good. I just love it. So when I'm in a bad mood, that's always what I put on. Soundtracks are, I think that a sound, like a good soundtrack to a bad movie is very A, common. I think that's a thing that happens all the time. And B is also just like, can change can change your perspective on the film. Well, right. thank you everyone for coming along on this wild ride. Thanks mm-hmm. to MS Walker for this uh, Granger's vodka. I know the same. <laughs> and thank you, Sean, for having us. We really, really appreciate it. Yes. We had yeah. a great time. We're plugging our friend Joy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Molly and Sarah, for joining us tonight. We really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, this video will be available um, kind of on demand on our page. So for those that weren't able to watch it live can certainly do that. And ladies, I don't know if you want to do a plug for where they can find your podcasts. Um, you know, I know iTunes is a place where they can find it. Is there any other places they can find it? Anywhere you find podcasts, basically. It's so like Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, all there. We have our poppetwister.com. You can find us at poppetwister on Instagram and Twitter. And the reason we started this podcast is because we realized there were no talk radio shows hosted by women in the city of Worcester, second largest city in New England. So we, uh, we took things into our own hands. Great, great. Well, thanks everyone for joining us tonight. We really do appreciate it. And uh, thanks again to Sarah and Molly and we will see you you soon. Thanks everyone. Bye guys.